So, a panda walks into a pub and orders a beer and sandwich. He finishes his food and drink, but then draws a gun and shoots the barman. As he heads for the door, one of the stunned customers calls out, Why did you do that? The panda simply tosses a rather badly punctuated wildlife book to him. Well, he says, I'm a panda, look it up. So the customer opens the book. And sure enough, under the entry for panda, it says, large, black and white, bear-like mammal, native to China, eats, comma, shoots and leaves. If uh, you haven't heard that rather lame joke before, it's the one that Lynn Truss used in her famous book on the importance of punctuation. By just adding a comma where there shouldn't be one, it turned the sentence from being about a panda's diet to describing a heartless murderer. Her point was that getting punctuation right, even our modern world of tweets and gifs and memes, remains essential if we want to properly understand what we are trying to communicate with each other. This, of course, is the challenge that the translators of the Bible have. For, as you may know, the original Greek New Testament has no punctuation at all. In fact, it doesn't even have spaces between words. It's mainly just one long stream of letters. Now, today, we're, we're continuing our way through the Lord's Prayer. And I have no doubt that the translators got their punctuation right. And I'm certainly not trying to rewrite the Lord's Prayer. But I believe the Lord's Prayer would still have made sense and conveyed all the right messages if they had put a colon after your kingdom come. In fact, this morning I was at the 8 o'clock service and opened up the Book of Common Prayer and there they put a semicolon after it, so they get close. And that's because in many ways you could argue that the rest of the prayer is simply fleshing out the overall request for God's kingdom to come. A couple of weeks ago, when we looked at your kingdom come, Catherine talked about the now but not yet nature of the kingdom. How our task on earth is to support the growth of God's kingdom now as it builds towards completion in heaven at the end of time. And how we build his kingdom by making Jesus king, by making him ruler of more and more of our own lives as well as the lives of others and society around us. And if you think about what that would look like, well, God's kingdom is where God's will is done on earth, in our own and other people's lives, just as it is in heaven. It's a world where everyone has their daily bread, where their needs are met in a fair and open society. It's a world where forgiveness is the norm, and anger and bitterness can take no hold. And it's a world where we are protected from temptation and the wiles of the devil, supported by each other and by God's Holy Spirit. That is what God's kingdom in our own lives and in our world looks like. And if I'm honest, I'm just using the panda joke to emphasize the point that when we turn and look at forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, we need to just be clear about what it is and what it is not about. As Alex read, Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our debtors or those who sin against us. This is in the past tense. It therefore implies we are only asking God to forgive our sins once we have forgiven other people. 
It implies God's forgiveness is conditional on us forgiving others. And just in case you weren't quite clear from the prayer, Jesus really rams it home straight afterwards. For, he says, as if the whole prayer was focused on this. For, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. But I hear you say, this doesn't sound like my understanding of grace. To sound like my understanding of salvation, and you're quite right. But that's because the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer of conversion or salvation. Let's be very, very clear. If we have become a Christian, if we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, we are forgiven. All our sins are forgiven. They are separated as far as the East is from the West. And there is nothing we can do that will lose God's grace and his forgiveness for us. We're safe. We're saved. But the Lord's Prayer is really the disciples' prayer. It is a prayer where Jesus is showing his followers how to pray after they are already his followers. You see, even as Christians, we still face a choice about how we want to live our lives. As Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians 3, he says we, you know, we remain to free to build our lives on completely different foundations and values to Jesus. But if we do that, although we will still be saved, it will only be, Paul says, as one escaping through the flames. In other words, the rest of our life is wasted and burnt away. So surely it is better to choose to build our lives on the rock that is Jesus and choose to live in relationship with the Father. And to do this, Jesus is telling us we need to be forgiven by God on a daily basis. And to do that, we need to keep forgiving others on a daily basis. God's forgiveness is conditional on our forgiving others. You see, the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer for justification. It's not a prayer about keeping ourselves saved. Instead, it is a prayer about living lives as God wants us to live. It's a prayer for continued fellowship, for maintaining our relationship with God, for walking in his light. It's therefore about choosing a life that makes our lives and this world more like God's kingdom. About making God's kingdom come here on earth now. And forgiveness is central to this. It is a lifelong commitment. It is not easy, but it is necessary. It's necessary in our relationship with God. It's necessary in our relationship with others. And it's necessary in our relationship with ourselves. It was 25 years ago this April that Stephen Lawrence was murdered. And after many, many years of legal wrangles and a fight for justice, which fundamentally challenged and changed British society, still only two out of the five murderers have been convicted. During this period, the impact of this has seen Stephen's parents, Neville and Doreen, Doreen's marriage break down. And Neville's had to move back to Jamaica because he was unable to live in the area of Stephen's death. And yet finally, all these years later, he has found a level of peace. On the anniversary, he said this, Because of my religious background... 
I have forgiven them for what they've done, those racists who killed my son. Because I couldn't go on the rest of my life feeling anger about something that has destroyed my way of living, that has destroyed my marriage, and caused me not to be able to live where my kids and grandkids are. So I had to forgive them. Neville Lawrence has realized what many Christians have before him, that in order to have peace, he needed to forgive. That forgiveness was not about letting murderers off the hook. It was not about denying justice, but it was about healing in his own life. It was about living in relationship with God. It was about sharing the forgiveness he had received from God. And Jesus' challenge to us is to treat others just as God has treated us. Each of us here has been forgiven so much by God, how can we then withhold our forgiveness from others? Talking on thought for the day about Neville Lawrence, Chinny MacDonald summed it up like this. Forgiveness in the light of these acts of hatred makes no sense. As Holocaust survivor Corrie ten Boone says, forgiveness is an act of the will, And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. There is a cognitive dissonance in this decision to forgive which rails against our sense of justice. It lets people off the hook when they don't deserve it. But it is precisely because of this that I find forgiveness beautiful and profound. It is extravagant in its generosity. It is unnecessary in its mercy. It speaks to me of an open-armed nature of God who is full of compassion. As Chinny says, people who have wronged us or others, forgiving them appears to make no sense. But Jesus has said, and experience will show us, that if we can forgive, it will change our lives, releasing us from anger and hatred. And it can even change the lives of those who are forgiven. It's not easy. It's a hard choice we have to make. It's a hard action to follow through. But it is something that God calls us to do and I believe is one of the most important and valuable things that each of us can do if we want to live lives that are close to God. So what does it involve? James Jones, the former Bishop of Liverpool, defined forgiveness as this. He said it is to absorb the wrong by enduring the pain and hostility of it without throwing it back. Absorbing the wrong, enduring the pain and hostility, but not throwing it back. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he calls us to do. It doesn't mean we're approving of what they did. God never approves of our sin. He hates it, but he still forgives. It doesn't mean we're diminishing its impact. We're not excusing them or trying to justify what they did or make it less serious than it really is. It doesn't mean we're denying what we feel. Instead, to totally forgive someone means to completely acknowledge and accept what they did without any denial of its seriousness or of the pain it has caused you or others. And then somehow, having taken all of that on board, still forgive. It means refusing to make or let them pay for what they've done, effectively letting them get away with it. It means keeping it secret, not telling them 
or anyone else about it. In fact, it means not even telling yourself about it. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Forgiving is not forgetting, but it is choosing to not let that memory have any hold on our heart. As Corrie ten Boone said, as we heard earlier, forgiveness is not about what you feel. It is an action, a choice. It is choosing to not let your knowledge of what they did, of what they did make any impact on their life or on your life. True forgiveness is therefore about mercy, not judgment. It is unfair, it is not deserved, and it is very, very hard. So why on earth should we do it? Well, firstly, because Jesus tells us to. But we also need to forgive because it prevents the build-up of bitterness and anger in our hearts. Ephesians 4, 30-32 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. But more than avoiding something bad, the experience of Christians throughout history is that forgiving also positively improves our own lives and potentially the lives of the the forgiven. As I will explain shortly, this is my own experience. This was Neville Lawrence's experience. And actually, as we've seen through countless terrorists and other tragedies that we see on the news, those people who have suffered but can forgive the terrorists heal so much quicker and so much more deeply than those who are bent on revenge. And of course, the main reason we are to forgive is because we ourselves are forgiven. Having received God's forgiveness for everything we've done, how can we refuse to forgive others for what they've done? But it still can be very hard to do. So I want to suggest four simple, practical things that may help. Firstly, choose not to tell anyone about what the other person has done or that you've forgiven them. That means not talking to the person involved, not talking to other people, even not talking to yourself. Part of our challenge is to control our internal talk, our thought life. Choose not to keep thinking it through, not to keep rehearsing the wrongs in your head. Forgive and try as hard as you can to move on. Secondly, be positive. Choose to look for the good in the person who has wronged you and choose to be pleasant and positive to them if ever you see them. Thirdly, pray. Pray for them positively. Pray for good things in their life. Pray for God to forgive them, but pray also for God to bless them. And pray for yourself to be able to let go and to move on. And fourthly, Repeat and repeat and repeat. Keep on forgiving today, tomorrow, this year and next. I'd like to end uh, with a little bit of my personal story. Uh, Please forgive the indulgence to talk about myself, but I hope you will find it encouraging about the impact forgiveness can have on our lives. My mother had a tough life. A number of things 
had already happened to her before I was born. But as she went into hospital to give birth to her second child, who turned out to be an 11-pound monster, I'll let you guess who that was, at that same point, my father was being rushed to hospital, to the same hospital with a mystery condition, and was given a 50-50 chance of living. He did pull through at that time, but my mother, who already had an 18-month-old and now had an enormous new baby to look after, knew he was living on borrowed time. He did, in fact, live until I was 13, but was ill for much of that time. A couple of years after his death, my mother remarried, and whilst that marriage was happy, there were a number of other things going on that led to her beginning to drink, and within a few years, becoming an alcoholic. By that stage, I was a late teenager. I was embarrassed, ashamed, and angry. I couldn't bring friends home as I didn't know what state she'd be in. In our new family, I had my sister, but I also had a stepsister and a stepbrother. And we were all aged within two years of each other. But there was no communication. Nothing was ever spoken about. As two families merging together, we'd morphed into the lowest common denominator of relationship and communication. I, however, had become a Christian, with my initial steps actually taken on a week away with the youth group from a church in Claygate called Holy Trinity. I'd grown in my faith and was a member of a free evangelical church in Purley, where I lived. At university, I was a student leader. I'd led mission trips to Africa and France. I was even on the PCC of the largest church in Bristol. And yet there was something not quite right. I was scared of intimacy with God. If I was attending a big Christian gathering like New Wine or Soul Survivor, where the youth are at the moment, if it all got a bit holy, I found myself shrinking, becoming scared of what God might do to me. It came to a head when a group of us went to Spring Harvest one year. A friend of mine was having a bit of a crisis of faith, and I was dragged in as the supposed wise one to help sort her out. Only didn't quite work like that, and it ended up with me being completely broken. I felt I knew God was there, but somehow I didn't believe I knew him. It was the worst of all worlds to know there is a God, but to believe that I cannot have a relationship with him. I ended spending virtually the whole week in tears. My hope had gone. Thankfully, though, there were a number of wise people around. And I remember going to pray with some leaders in their own chalet in the middle of the night. As we prayed, the person praying for me said she felt I needed to forgive my mother. I don't think I told her anything of my mother's story, but she felt God was prompting me to do that. So I did. Well, what I did was make a decision to forgive and tell God that in prayer. At that very moment, a beam of light shone down upon me. A huge choir of angels burst into the chalet singing hallelujah. They didn't. In fact, in fact, nothing happened. I didn't feel any different. But I had made a firm decision to forgive my mother for the hurt, the embarrassment, and the sense that she had failed me. I think I then went back to bed, and at the end of the week, back to university. However, something had happened and over the next few months, I noticed I was less and less angry towards her. Even more incredibly, within a few months, my mother had completely stopped drinking. I never said anything to her. I had never told her of my anger before, and I never told her now of my forgiveness. But something had really changed. 
My anger not only went, but changed to deep admiration as I saw a woman who had overcome so many hurdles and challenges in her life. Shortly after this, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and began a slow 10-year decline to her death. But our relationship was changed. And in my own life, that fear of God, that feeling of unworthiness, of separation, completely left. Since then, I've, of course, done many, many things wrong. I continue to lead a very average Christian life. But one thing I now never doubt is that God loves me and has saved me. I no longer feel scared that he's going to do something to me that I don't want or that I'm not good enough for him. In fact, it's almost the reverse. The, the worse I am, the more I'm grateful that he still loves me and the more, the more I realize that his love is not earned but freely given despite and not because of who I am. But although this one step of forgiveness led to a major change in my life, as Jesus reminds us in the Lord's Prayer, if I want to continue to walk with him and to know the freedom of his forgiveness in my life, I need to keep on forgiving and then keep on forgiving some more. I'm very aware that there are constantly new things that I need to forgive and that my daily relationship with God is still hampered by my own pride and my own desire to hold on to hurts and not forgive. And if listening to this, you're aware that there may be, like me, one big thing that you need to forgive that is a real block in your life, I urge you not to ignore it. There is real hope, but you do need to deal with it. And deal with it straight away, either on your own, or pray it through with someone here, or someone else who you trust. It will not just go away on its own and will continue to be a cancer in your relationship with God unless you deal with it. But whether there is one big thing or just the normal trials and challenges of life, I know that if each of us can develop a life of continual forgiveness, continually, quickly and totally forgiving others when they hurt us or do something wrong, then we will experience more of God's forgiveness in our own lives and we will see more of God's kingdom come here on earth in this church and in our lives as it will one day be in heaven. Amen.